the most inspiring person of 2005, according to beliefnet.com, was Re Victoria Rivolo of Lake Ronkonkoma, New York. Victoria was driving her niece's voice to her niece's voice recital when she passed another car driven by 19-year-old Ryan Cushing. Cushing was riding with five other teens and had just used a stolen credit card to go on a spending spree. One of their purchases was a frozen turkey, uh, which Cushing decided to toss into oncoming traffic. The 20-pound projectile smashed through Rivolo's windshield, crushing her face and nearly killing her. Rivolo survived, although she spent 10 hours in an operating room where doctors worked to reconstruct her face. <clears throat> when she finally went home, she still needed a tracheotomy to breathe and endured months of painful rehabilitation. On October 17, 2005, Rivolo attended Cushing's sentencing and asked his judge for leniency. Part of her statement read, Despite all the fear and pain, I have learned from this horrific experience, and I have much to be thankful for. Each day when I wake up, I thank God simply because I'm alive. I sincerely hope you have also learned from this awful experience, Ryan. There is no room for vengeance in my life, and I do not believe a long, hard prison term would do you, me, or society any good. Cushing, who wept and expressed remorse for this, his action, was sentenced to six months in jail. He could have gotten a 25-year prison sentence if Rivolo, his victim, had not intervened. I truly hope, Rivolo added, that by demonstrating compassion and leniency, I have encouraged you to seek an honorable life. If my generosity will help you mature into a responsible, honest man whose graciousness is a source of pride to your loved ones and your community, then I will be truly gratified and my sufferings will not have been in vain. Ryan proved me right. Victoria Rivolo faced her enemy in the courtroom with a sincere love that only sought to restore the life of Ryan Cushing. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21, we will see that Paul gives us a number of examples of what sincere love looks like, including loving your enemy. If you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 12, it's on page 788 or 1137 in your Bridge Bible, and we'll read through this entire section, 9 through 21. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful what to, to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. 
If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So here's the background on Romans up to this point. The Apostle Paul has basically just written 11 chapters loaded with theology and one command up until this shift in chapter 12 where he begins a rapid-fire expression of commands based on the believer's response to the gospel of Jesus. So let's start in chapter 12, verse 9, where we see that because of the gospel, believers in Jesus Christ have a responsibility to show God's sincere love to others. Our first point is sincere love benefits the lives of others. Back to verse 9, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves. Showing our sincere love and devotion for one another, um, we do this by creating a community with other believers. Um, this is church. This is what we call church. These, these are the things we do at church to create community. Uh, the word for love here is phileo. It's a family or brotherly type of love shown through believers to other believers in Jesus in this couple of verses here. Um, so we are to use this love to create a bond with each other by honoring and devoting ourselves to one another. As believers, we are called to set our sometimes selfish desires aside and devote ourselves to loving, <clears throat> to loving others in ways that shows them that they are valuable and that helps foster a community with other believers. Next, we, we all can help foster that community by embracing a passion for God. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. As a believer in Jesus, it makes sense to be passionate about your faith, to want to share your joy with others, to want others to know the Lord. That's what zeal is. It's to be on fire, to be set on fire for God, to it's to be excited about your faith because of the difference God has made in your life. Paul calls it a spiritual fervor. This is an enthusiasm, a passion, and a dedication to God that looks beyond our physical bodies, physical circumstances, and even beyond time itself. This spiritual fervor Paul is writing about here is having a spiritual perspective focused on Christ. It's continuously remembering the reason we are zealous is because of the relationship we have with God as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, not everyone's passion for the Lord is going to look the same all the time. We all express ourselves in different ways. But in verse 12, Paul gives us three ways that we as believers should be expressing that passion. We are to be joyful in hope. Hope in what? 
we all should have hope, as uh, if you were here last week, you heard Dr. Bill talk about, um, not in the sense that we hope God's words are true, but in the sense that we now have hope because we know God's words hold true. We know our position in Christ. We know that God loves us. Hope because of the blessing of God's love in us and his forgiveness for us. Also, in verse 12, we are to be patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Affliction means something bad has happened to you, probably something physical like an illness or an injury. And Paul says, just be patient, just take some time, slow down. Let's put things, this things or whatever it is, this affliction in its proper perspective. Paul is not minimizing the affliction here, whatever affliction one happens to be going through. He's just saying, let's look at it from a proper Christ-centered perspective. Here's an example of Paul suffering affliction and trusting God to help him um, get through it in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, is it 1st or 2nd? 2nd Corinthians 1, 8 through 11. Here's Paul's writing uh, to the church in Corinth. Uh, he's referencing himself and Timothy. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. This is affliction. Uh, Paul is talking about probably being beaten or stoned uh, for preaching the gospel. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. This is severe infliction, affliction. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. So Paul relied on God and his affliction, and God, of course, came through. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Here's where prayer comes in. Um, Paul continuously asked the churches to continuously pray for him, and he gives God credit, and he gives credit to prayer here for delivering him. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So God answers prayers for our afflictions. Here Paul is telling the church in Corinth about how he faced a physical affliction when he was spreading the gospel in Asia and how he was able to handle it. Also, as a community of believers, we can see we can show a sincere love for one another by meeting or sharing each other's needs. Verse 13. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. It's likely here in verse 13 that Paul is referring to the material needs of others like food and clothing and shelter. And it's common in the first century for there to be material needs in their community. It was common then and it's common today for there to be material needs in our community. In Acts chapter 6, it was a priority of the apostles to make sure that food was being properly distributed to the widows of that time. In Paul's letter to Titus in 
chapter 3, uh, he tells Titus to make sure the church is staying productive and meeting the daily needs of the community. And Jesus taught about hospitality and meeting the needs of others in Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and goats. In verse 40, he said, The king will reply, this is in the parable, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He was referring back to the examples he gave earlier in verses 35 and 36. He said, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. This style of practicing hospitality is like it's, it's more than spontaneously dropping change in a bucket, like on the way out of Walmart. Not that that's not a good ministry, and it's an awesome ministry, and it does a lot of good work. This is the, the, the it's recognizing the needs of, the specific needs of others, and that they can't, or burdens of others that they can't carry on their own, and making them our own. This kind of love not only shows hospitalities to others, uh, to outsiders, it goes even further and creates a craving to show hospitality as an outlet for the love uh, poured into us from God. Um, second, sincere love reacts to others' actions and emotions with humility and the empathy. Um, it does this by finding ways of blessing others who have wronged you. Here's where it gets a little more difficult. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. A lot of you know this already. Some of you may not. But Paul was an expert on persecution. He had both been a persecutor of Christians and been been persecuted as a Christian. Look here, Galatians 1, 13, 14, where Paul talks about his persecution of Christians. For you have heard my, of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So Paul had a zeal for persecution of the church prior to coming to know Christ. This was Paul before his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus where Jesus confronted Paul about his persecution and changed Paul's direction in life. A violent, zealous persecutor of believers in Christ by his own admission. So we see that there was no love from God in Paul prior to meeting Jesus. But after meeting Jesus as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, as uh, Paul faced great persecution. Um, So this is the other side that Paul sees. We see in Acts 14, uh, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. This is Paul was preaching. uh, And they stoned Paul 
and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. So Paul was preaching Christ and the Jewish leaders um, came and stirred up the people and Paul was stoned and left out. Stoned stoned so badly that they, they, they left him for dead. Another example in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, five times I received from the Jews, this is Paul again, uh, telling about the persecution he's received. Five times I received from the Jews, 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. So Paul knew all about persecution. And Paul, with all his experience um, from both sides of the issue, and backed by what Jesus had taught that Paul had learned about, he tells believers to bless those who persecute them. Bless and do not curse them. You see, it was that love of God poured into Paul that compelled him to obey Christ's command to humbly show love to those who persecuted believers. Paul writes more about this in a few verses from now, and we'll come back to this topic shortly. Next, sincere love reacts to others' actions and emotions with humility and empathy by sharing each other's joys and sorrows. Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. We are called to identify with others' joys and sorrows as though they were our own, to celebrate together in good times and to mourn together in bad times. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 27 says, so that there should be no division in the body. Um, as a church, we're seen as a body. Um, as Christ is the head, every member makes up a part of the body. And so that there be no division in the body, that the, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So just like the physical body, if one part experiences pain, the rest of the body should know about it. And if one part feels joy, the rest of the body should feel joy as well. And that's how we are to be as a church, as members of a, a unified body, the church, we are all connected. We are not meant to suffer alone. Please do not disconnect from the body when you are suffering. If you are going through something now and you, that you're ashamed of or feel like you don't want to burden others with, know this. You are not meant to suffer alone. Having problems in your life does not make you a burden. It makes you a normal person. So if you are suffering through something alone right now, I just encourage you to talk to someone. If you don't know who to talk to, don't be afraid to talk to one of the elders or the elders' wives or uh, other ministry leaders. But then on the other side of that, 
If you're excited and you're passionate about something that's happening in your life right now, we should be able to share that with each other also so that we can celebrate um, each other's successes and joyous life events. Next, sincere love reacts to others' actions and emotions with humility and empathy by always striving to live in harmony with everyone. Uh, So continuing with the theme of empathy and humility, verse 16 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Paul gives us the command to live in harmony with each other and then follows up that command with some helpful suggestions. First, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Let's take a look at pride and see how pride can be a problem when it comes to harmony within the church. Pride is arrogance, egotism, superiority, overconfidence, self-importantness, or self-centeredness. Paul defined pride a few verses back in Romans 12:3 when he said, for, let's see, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So we need to have a a realistic view of ourselves. We shouldn't think more of ourselves than we should, we ought to. We have to get to know our uh, limits and our abilities. Uh, we shouldn't think less of ourselves uh, than we, sh- we 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 should than we ought because we don't we we still have to have a realistic view of our uh, abilities and gifts. Pride is really just taking the praise that is due to God and crediting ourselves for that. Okay, So pride is taking the praise that is due to God and crediting ourselves. James 3. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, selfish ambition is part of pride, and your hearts do not boast about it or deny the truth, you want to have a realistic view such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. We don't want disorder and every evil practice. <laughs> so be careful of pride. So we see the warning from James about the destructiveness of pride and selfish ambition And we see why Paul is telling us that pride can be destructive to living in harmony with one another. Three, a third point here is sincere love overcomes evil acts with godly wisdom. Um, It does this by building a good reputation. Verse 17 and 18. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Okay. Um, Paul writes that believers in Christ are to be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody and do not repay evil for evil. I think 
Paul is talking uh, here about believers in Christ protecting their reputation with those outside the church. I think Paul wants his readers to consider, what Paul wants his readers to consider is that what they say and do outside the church body matters. Uh, I think today this means we should remember to consider our personal interactions during the week as opportunities to represent Christ. To consider what is our reputation at work, uh, our reputation at school or on the sports field. Or how about this? What does our reputation look like considering how we deal with difficult people? Or if we get poor service from someone, do we snap back at them? Or if we're having a bad day, do we maybe take it out on a stranger who we feel has offended us? Or how do we behave in heavy traffic in the wintertime when you're late and someone cuts you off? You know, let me tell you, I didn't used to think so, but these things matter to God, and those personal interactions, uh, when people find out you're a Christian, influence people's views on God. Let's remember to represent God by considering our reputations to those outside the church. Next, sincere love overcomes evil acts with godly wisdom by leaving room for God to work. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Let's look back at Deuteronomy 32:35. It is mine to avenge, I will repay. In due time their foot will slip, their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes upon them. What I want us to see here is when it is written, where it is written when Paul says, for it is written. So Deuteronomy 32:35. In this case, in Deuteronomy, God was simply reassuring his people, the Israelites, that even though God had allowed them to be overrun by their enemies, God would have compassion and later take revenge on Israel's enemies. In other words, God was saying to the Israelites, just be patient, just take some time, slow down. Let's put this thing in its proper perspective. By referencing Deuteronomy here, Paul is reminding his readers that, hey, God is ultimately in control. He knows how you've been wronged. You do your part. Obey God, forgive those who have offended you, hurt you, and understand that ultimately this doesn't mean that they're off the hook. It just means that they're not on your hook, but God's. And for us today, we need to forgive those who have hurt us, find healthy ways to keep those from who have hurt us continuing to hurt us, and pray for God's help, then leave room for God to work in their lives. Finally, sincere love overcomes evil acts with godly wisdom by seeking to restore people to God. Verse 20 says, on the contrary, so Paul's just reminded us not to take revenge for evil for, um, revenge for evil by doing evil to others. On the contrary, he says in verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If 
he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here Paul is quoting directly from Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. I don't have to show it to you. It's a direct quote. He has just reminded us of the command not to take revenge for the evil others do to us. But God's commands don't stop there, and neither does Paul. According to this, we are to look for ways to help those who have wronged us by helping meet their needs like food and water. I imagine this idea would extend to other acts of kindness as well. Paul writes that by doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, this might sound like a form of revenge, but the reader in Paul's time here would have uh, had a different understanding. First, giving someone burning coals to start a fire in their hearth would have been seen uh, as an act of kindness. So there's that. This could have been what Paul was referring to here, but more likely he was referring to an Egyptian tradition of publicly carrying a pan of hot coals on one head to show that they were sorry for something, um, a public uh, admission of guilt or remorse. So the idea here is that if someone wrongs you and you show that person kindness in return, um, that person may feel the need to repent of their wrongdoing. And remember, um, that person is not off the hook. They're just off your hook. They're still on God's. And God is in control. And so Paul summarizes this section in the last verse by saying, the believers are not to be overcome by evil. Uh, but to overcome evil with good. We are to overcome evil by showing a sincere love, not only uh, to one another in the church body, but to those outside the church body as well, including people who have hurt or offended us. And with trust in God and faithfulness in prayer, and just like Victoria Rovolo's example from earlier, we can replace even uh, the most unquenchable anger with a sincere love powered by God's strength through prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity today to worship and to look at your word. I just pray for our hearts and our strength to overcome um, the struggles and the afflictions in life. Um, to overcome uh, the need or the feeling or the desire to seek revenge uh, or to repay others e um, evil for evil. We pray for uh, each one of us throughout this week that we might um, represent you in a way that honors you and shows your light and love to others. And we just ask that you continue to honor uh, Help us to honor you and bless uh, this ministry, this church, through um, everyone who attends. 
and is a part. And we just thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.